0: to many windows, conversations on ministry. I'm your podcast host, Jules Taylor, coming to you from Meadville Lombard Theological School in Chicago. The call to community ministry and chaplaincy is growing. Vocational discernment should always include gathering information. To that end, I've recorded a series on military chaplaincy. Earlier this year, I interviewed Unitarian Universalist ministers who serve as chaplains in each of the military branches and their components, as well as the UUA's ecclesiastical endorser. Military chaplaincy is not a monolith. Each branch has its own rhythm and personality. In addition, there are different ways to serve—active duty, reserve, national guard. This series is a 101 beginner's guide to military chaplaincy from folks who work and live this call to serve those who serve in uniform. As an Air Force chaplain myself serving in the Air National Guard, these are conversations I've thoroughly enjoyed. Today's guest is Chaplain Lieutenant Robin Stillwater. Chaplain Stillwater is an active duty Navy chaplain currently serving with the Navy. You heard me right. If that sentence intrigues or confuses you, keep listening, as Chaplain Stillwater helps navigate the ways in which Navy chaplains serve. Robin, welcome. It's great to have you here. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I appreciate you having me. Oh, yeah. It's great to have this kind of conversation. So uh, let's just jump right in. Tell me so you're an active duty Navy chaplain what made you interested in this in this career path in this vocation what got you interested in this
1: I, I this was not something I ever thought I was going to be doing you have to know my parents met walking across the country to try to end the cold war it was it was the global nuclear disarmament march mm-hmm. uh, and so I I come very much from like an anti-war mm-hmm necessarily say anti-military but but it would probably be accurate (laughs) kind of kind of background and like I was protesting the war when I was 10 Mm -hmm. uh, like on the streets kind of protesting the war so never thought that this is the route I would go Mm -hmm. but when I was in seminary there was a recruiter who came to visit us from the navy and I, I went to hear his presentation and one of the things he talked about was this chaplain candidate program.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And one of the things he said, which turned out to be entirely accurate, is that you can try this program out with no obligation on either side. And my thought at the time was, well, that sounds super nifty for someone else. <laughs> that, that sounds absolutely amazing for someone who is not me. This is this is not something I want to be doing. And And my thought was, People who are in the military are just so different from me. They're so different from Unitarian Universalists. Like the kind of person who would join the military must just be so foreign to to anything that Unitarian Universalism is about. That's just they're 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 not my people, is what what my thought was. Yeah, and it kept coming up, as it does, <laughs> and kept coming up and kept coming up, and I kept pushing back. You know, those people are not my people. And then one time when it came up and I pushed back, I heard a voice in my head, and mm-hmm. the voice in my head said, "Just because they're different from you, does that mean they don't deserve your ministry?" Wow. And uh, yeah, the, the voice was not mine, and I pretty solidly maintained that it was the voice of God, mm-hmm. and that that was it. I, I was like, "Okay, like <laughs> I hear you. I'm, I I hear what you were wanting me to do," and I, I called the recruiter the very next day. And, and that's yeah. really where the journey started. Uh, and I think it, it can be a little bit tricky because that definitely felt like a call to start this journey, mm-hmm. but it, it could have changed anywhere sure. in the middle.
0: Sure. Right. So, yeah, you, you, I mean, you, you have your Job moment, right? Like, I don't want to go there. Those aren't the people. What are you talking about? That's not, no. Oh, mate. Okay. Let's give this a shot. <laughs> Right. So that I think I was going to ask about the the candidate program then. So you're in seminary and I know each of the branches have candidate programs and all of those programs are different. So yeah. this is specific in, in terms of how the Navy candidate program works. What what was it like doing school at the same time that you're working your way through the Navy system? How how was that? I think it's important to
1: start by saying that these things tend to change. So I will tell you True. about my program, Canada officer program. Okay. And it, it's possible that it has changed slightly since I started. As far as I know at this point, it hasn't that this is approximately still how it goes, sure. but you know, it, it's possible it's different now. Good
0: so the way it works... where we can put, we can put that in the notes too. We can put that in the notes. This is as of this recording of this date.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, if there's, The thing with the military is it is always changing. (laughs) So the way it works is you have to do a bunch of paperwork and the most difficult of that paperwork and definitely the most time consuming of that paperwork is all the medical stuff. They do a really comprehensive medical background on anyone who wants to join the military and any kind of issues that you've had in the past, you have to provide supporting documentation for, which means, for for people who are in you know their late twenties, early thirties, you have to go back ten ish years trying to get all this medical documentation, and you you go visit this place called Maps, uh, oh. and I have no idea what that stands for, but it's the medical something something
0: that right. you go to visit. And it's, all that that is the same for all branches. We all do a whole lot of paperwork, a whole lot of background medical stuff, a whole this piece is this is all of us that do this <laughs> also enlisted and act and uh and officer too yeah
1: yeah and they all go to the same one like the mess yep. that I went to was actually on an army base even though I was going navy because that that's just the closest one so that's yep. the one that I went to and and it doesn't matter because they're all yep. approximately the same
0: Yep. <laughs>
1: uh, so it was a lot of time a lot of paperwork so forth and so on I think for me from the time I started my paperwork to the time I like raised my hand and actually commissioned was about a year maybe a little less maybe maybe more like 6 to 9 months but i wasn't so much of it depends on me and how quickly i'm getting that paperwork and stuff in and i was going to seminary so it it wasn't like my top priority sure i could it could have gone a lot faster if i had had better documentation of my own medical paperwork or had prioritized contacting doctors and, and doing all of that. So we we do all the paperwork, we take all the time. It's a pain in the behind, but you eventually get it done. <laughs> and then I raise my right hand, take the oath of office. And uh, then I'm, I'm an inactive reserve member of the United States Navy. That doesn't usually mean that much. For me, it meant that like once a month I was supposed to send in a form saying, you know, I haven't been arrested, I haven't broken anything, <laughs> yay, we're good to go. And then you get to do some several week long active duty things. So okay. for me, I, I did a boot camp and then I did a chaplain specific training. Mm-hmm. And uh, most of the time you then also do an OJT on the job training where mm-hmm. they send you to some sort of base, some sort of ship who whatever they have available at that time, kind of kind of who knows. Sure. And you get to follow a chaplain around and see what a chaplain does inside of this
0: kind of circumstance and inside of this job. I did not. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I was gonna ask, so is that all happening? Cause you're going to seminary at the same time. Had you graduate is this in the summertime that all those multiple weeks and boot and your, you know, boot camp and training, or is that happening alongside, you know, your semester classwork? How did that work? So it
1: happens For me, it happened in the winter and then in the summer. Yeah, they
0: they do them at
1: times when schools are on some sort of break. Gotcha. To make it kind of easier. It it can get tricky for Unitarian Universalists, depending on what you're planning to do about CPE, because CPE also usually happens in the summer. Mm -hmm. I got lucky I did a program, an extended unit that was throughout the year, so it wasn't a problem for me. But, you
0: know, it's the kind of thing you got to plan carefully. Logistics and scheduling is going to be a thing, which ultimately is going to also be a theme to to navigate that through a, through an early process is good practice because that is going to be part of the rest of your career as well is navigating logistical issues and things. And how, how does this work when the timing isn't working? So anyway, just as, as a foreshadowing, doing it during candidate time and learning how to, I think, how to uh, tolerate those levels of hurry up, wait, hang on, this isn't work driving with my life. How do I make this work with relationships, school, whatever, that's just part of the career field, I think.
1: I think so too, and and I also, you know, I, I had all this time I, that I was a minister and not an active duty military chaplain. We'll 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 get to that part of the journey a little later. Excellent, but <laughs> but in my experience, that's not just a military thing. There there's some of that in the civilian world too, and particularly inside of congregational life, the number of times you show up to counsel uh, a congregant and they're late. And so you're, you're like rushing to try to make it there. And then you're sitting there waiting for them. That that happens. Yeah. yeah and, and anytime you're dealing with government paperwork, health insurance, all of that is yeah. hurry up and wait type stuff. So uh, looking back, it was so annoying at the time. And I am someone who really, really does not like paperwork or admin. <laughs> It was it was it felt like torture, even though it definitely was not. And and now I'm really grateful for it. It it instilled some incredibly important life lessons and skills that I don't know if I would have gotten as quickly some other way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Good. Layering. Thanks for letting me interrupt on that too, just to talk about that. All right. So you're you're doing your uh your your on the job training, the kind of place that you went. Let's hear I think that's where you were heading with that.
1: That is, yeah, if I remember correctly, uh, and I didn't do an on-the-job training because the years that I would have been in zone to do that kind of training is when COVID hit, and so. And what does in zone mean? In zone means uh, there, there's sort of a ladder kind of effect of how these things work. I, I could analogize it. Analogize it. I could analogize it to the MFC process. You okay, become right. an aspirant first, and then a candidate. And then you're in preliminary fellowship and there are different things and steps you need to do at each of those points in time. So, To compare that to chaplain candidacy, you do all your paperwork. That's your first thing. Then you go do an equivalent of boot camp. That's your second thing. Then you do some sort of chaplain specific training. And then after that is when you do your on the job training. So I finished my chaplain specific training in the summer of 2018. And I was trying to go to uh, an on the job training in 2019, 2020. Mm -hmm. And it didn't happen in 2019. And then in 2020, there was COVID. Yep. So I, I just didn't do one.
0: And they fortunately let me join anyway. That, that, that you're the, the zone then is like your window. That's, that could be considered like, this is when you're talking about you're in, in the zone, in a zone for that, like you're in this window, then this is the window when this would happen. Is that another way to say that that's non-military in this window? Yes. Yeah. That,
1: that's okay. exactly right. And Perfect. and like, and like with civilian stuff and, and like with the MFC, there's an earliest part of your window. And then the the back end, how, how long you can take it is much more flexible. Right. Like your, gotcha. your start window is pretty set. You're, you're, you become a candidate. Now you're a candidate, right. but then you can be a candidate for a year or eight years. And it just right. kind of depends on the person. Gotcha.
0: Thank you. Okay. So you didn't get to do your on-the-job training when you thought. So then what happened for you? What was your next pieces that you did?
1: Well, I think I think it's actually important to pause at boot camp and the chaplain specific training for a minute because that's the introduction. Yeah, that's the introduction to the military, to this person who is. In many ways, very skeptical of this experience that she is currently going through. (laughs) So I get to boot camp and in many ways, it is exactly what I expect. Uh, People are not like screaming at you, but they're yelling at you and you have to go places and do things. And what I told myself before I went is that when I go to boot camp, all I have to do is exactly what they tell me and I'll be Mm -hmm. fine. And I went to boot camp and I did exactly what they told me, and I was fine. <laughs> uh, and it was actually a lot of fun doing the PT together and people motivating each other and studying together yeah. for the various academic
0: tests. And PT in the military context is physical training, not physical therapy. <laughs> so PT is physical training. So all the fitness stuff, with they you know, jumpy jacks, running, you know, group stuff, push ups, all of those pieces, right?
1: Yes, thank you. That is a very important distinction. <laughs> no, we we weren't all doing physical therapy together. We were doing Jumpy Jackson running together. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and it, it was honestly just a lot of fun. I I didn't expect it to be that mm-hmm. much fun, but it was. And I I met some people that I was like, okay, you're you're exactly who and what I expected to be in the military. And then I met some people who really weren't. I went through boot camp with one of I think now the only active duty Buddhist chaplain mm-hmm. inside of the Navy. Uh and that was really amazing and special. Like she's a wonderful woman and uh, I'm I feel very lucky that I got to to meet her because th- there aren't very many of them. Yeah.
0: That's so sorry. Right. So boot camp, you get through that, right? You you get through that and then chaplain school uh or chaplain training, however they call that Navy, uh that's your next that's your next move, right? And that's also multiple weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Rhode Island, right? It it is now I'm in supposed. Rhode Island. Okay.
1: When I did it, it was oh, I, I always mess this up. I think it was at Fort Jackson, oh South Carolina, Arby, yeah. in South Carolina. Yes, yeah,
0: that's where I did. Yeah, that's where the that's also where the Air Force uh, Chaplain School also used to be there. That's where I took it as well. It is also no longer there. Gotcha. So, but now now they'd be up in Rhode Island. Now they'd be up. Yes. In Rhode Gotcha. Yes, that's accurate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when I went through, it was four weeks
1: as the the first little bit. And keep in mind, for those four weeks, I'm getting paid as an active duty service member. So I'm getting paid what I would be if I joined active duty, Hmm. which for someone in seminary, I got paid thousands of dollars. Yeah. For a couple of weeks worth of work. And e- even if I had just done the CP- P- CCPO program, this chaplain candidate program, and, ha- and had then stopped, it would have been worth it because I got back from that boot camp experience and suddenly needed dental care. Mm. And I would not have had the money to pay for it if I hadn't just gotten paid by the Navy for these two weeks that I had done. So, right. it, it, so helpful. For someone who, who's in a seminary context and, and doesn't have a ton of money, it, it right. pays really well yeah. for those few weeks that you're doing it. And while you're there, all your medical stuff is covered. So if you get there and there's something really wrong with you, like they'll send you to do your medical care. You are active duty for that time. Yep. And, and that can be incredibly beneficial.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, but then go ahead. Sorry. Oh, well, I was going to ask. So at this point, though, you are you're still in seminary. You're getting ready to finish what your is it getting into your third year, part of your third year, second year, where were you in that? Yeah,
1: when I did boot camp, I was halfway through my last year, my third year. Okay. And I did the the training just after I graduated.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Seminary. Okay. So now what are you going to do cuz you're not active duty yet. You're still uh uh considered uh reserve, right? Correct, and this is a Navy
1: specific thing. The other Mm -hmm. branches, as far as I know, will will fudge it a little bit on this, but most chaplain candidate programs require you to have two years of experience Mm -hmm. before you come in active duty. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is when you come in active duty, they want to be able to send you out and tell you, go, take care of these people. And they don't want to have to be babysitting you on right. anything. You, you have to be really solid in putting together a sermon and preaching it. You have to be really solid in your counseling skills. You got you got to be really solid on all those things that you as a minister provide to the people under your care. So, so they give you those two years to get all of those skills, do some weddings, do some funerals, so forth and so on, things like that. So I get done with my A school or sorry, my chaplain specific training, which in the Navy is called A school when you when you finish boot camp and go to a secondary school where they teach you job specific stuff.
0: Right. Yeah. Your career. This is your yeah, your job specific kind of your tech school. So you get technically proficient at the way that the the Navy wants you to do that job.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I I go to do that. That was a really fascinating experience that if we have time for, we can go in depth too, but we'll, we'll just gloss over it. (laughs) Uh, And then I go do my internship. I had been hired Ah. as an intern at the church in Santa Monica. And so I I went and did a a year long internship out there under the amazing Reverend Greg Ward. Had a, had a really good time in LA for a little bit.
0: (laughs) Wow. Right. And, and while you were in that internship, did you have to go back and do, did you uh, drill? Did you had that, or that's the period that you kept writing back saying, nope, haven't been arrested. All is good. Yeah. So yeah. that was the time. Gotcha. That was,
1: that was the keep writing back. No, I haven't been arrested. Okay. Yes. I'm keeping up with my own physical fitness. Yes. I right. still want to do this, that kind of thing. But other than gotcha. that, they didn't bother me at all in, in that time.
0: So those yeah. couple of years for the and the, the way the Navy works, then you get through school and then you go out to get your experience, get get really seasoning and and get seasoned as a as a minister for the work that then you're that, that, that then you're going to go do later with them.
1: Yes, and normally that's when you would do the on the job training, the JT. Gotcha. But you know, because no of my circumstances, I didn't. <laughs>
0: right. So your internship was in there. So now you're getting also you're getting the pieces that you need to go see uh, the MFC too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly.
1: And so I, I finish up my internship and then I go do a CPE residency for uh-huh. complicated reasons. I, I go back to New York city cause I went to seminary in New York city and I go back to New York city to do my CPE residency at a veterans affairs hospital there to try and, and start immersing myself. Like, like at that point I was like, all right, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to finish up with all of this. And then go active duty in the military. So I should probably try to start getting a little yeah. bit more about this culture, start learning the acronyms, things like that. So I
0: was at Brooklyn VA Hospital. I don't know how, do we know that? Did, I don't know that we knew, I I also did my residency at the VA in New York City. I don't know what? that we've ever had that conversation. <laughs> oh my gosh, we have not. That's amazing. <laughs> All right. I know, I know Brooklyn. I know, New, uh, we, yep, we have, we have uh, trod the same boards there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah, residency is a great thing to do in, in these in between places too, all just for so many reasons. The, and and uh yeah, if you're I, I did it for similar similar reasons. I did my residency at the VA, also wondering, is this gonna be a community that I'm gonna be able to gel with? Are they gonna be interested in me? Am I gonna be interested in them? And that that residency piece at the VA really helped helped begin to kind of get my feet wet and and considering you know, oh, you know what? I think I do have an affinity for this. I think this might be an okay thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I wasn't sure at the end of mine, if I was like definitely active duty or, but I I was also really loving VA chaplaincy. And I was like, well, maybe I could just be a VA chaplain. That would also be pretty cool. Uh, Obviously I ended up going one of those directions and not the other, (laughs) but it, but it was overall just a really affirmative experience. Mm -hmm. And I, I arrived there, keep in mind in the fall of 2019. And so and it's a year long program. So I'm at the Brooklyn VA when COVID hits. And the VA system in New York has several different hospitals in that are all part of the same system. And they decided that the Brooklyn hospital was going to be their COVID hospital was going to, they were going to turn the whole hospital, just COVID quarantine, the entire hospital. And that really changed my CPE experience because of course it did in all the ways that COVID changed absolutely everything. And it it really gave me hands-on experience with how do you handle it when everything changes really suddenly, particularly Mm -hmm. in a chaplain type setting. Mm -hmm. And that you know all the COVIDy type stuff that we all went through and experienced, and that's really, really helpful in dealing with chaplaincy in general, because
0: mm-hmm.
1: you never know when things are going to change.
0: That's right. That's right. And and the the extreme and intense needs that again the the hurry up and wait that okay now we need you right now now go away we got this other stuff to do oh wait come back we need this yeah that's definitely a part in hospital work for sure. And in other, in other ways of, of, of professional chaplaincy too. So, uh, so on this, eventually you wound up deciding active duty was the, was the place you get through the MFC, you get those, those next levels and layers that you need on the, on the civilian professional side. And then you decide huh? Mm-hmm. Uh, active duty's the way was that right out of, out of that, or did you serve a congregation for a little while first? What happened?
1: I didn't serve a congregation. I moved to Chicago, which is where my now husband was then currently stationed. He was an ah. active duty Navy chaplain. And oh. and it, we didn't really want both of us to be in at the same time for a variety of complicated reasons, but we knew we wanted to be together. And so mm-hmm. I moved out here and I took a job at a hospice working as a chaplain. Oh, okay. And I did that for a little while first. But, but even as I was doing that, the plan was eventually... I will go active duty. We're just not sure exactly when it's going to happen.
0: Gotcha. So what's it like then to be an active duty an active duty navy chaplain? What is it that you like about your job? What, tell me about that. I think when people think of navy chaplaincy, they think of ships. Because sure. when you
1: think of the navy, you think of ships.
0: Absolutely. And that's, that's what all the commercials navy. have on. That's what they focus on <laughs> in the commercials, right? It
1: is, it's true. That is the, That is. That that what is in all of the commercials is different kinds of ships and doing different things on ships. And that is a big part of being in the Navy in general, especially for people who are enlisted, because people who are enlisted are only in the Navy. Hmm. For chaplains, it's a little bit more complicated, because okay. the Department of the Navy is actually over the Navy and the Marines and the Coast Guard. And they're, they're, the enlisted don't go back and forth between those three branches, but the mm-hmm. chaplains do. The chaplains serve all three. So if you're going to be a Navy chaplain, you might get stationed on a ship. You also might get stationed with the Marines. You also might get stationed with the Coast Guard. You also could get stationed with airplanes. So so let me ask you, Julie, uh, which country in the world has the—well, the, so, so the U.S. has the absolute biggest air force in the world we have the the biggest most comprehensive air force do you know what is the second largest air force in the world
0: off the top of my head i do not it's the united states navy ah so okay so branch so we have both (laughs) Oh, trick question all right (laughs) trick question nice yeah so that's another piece right so not only do people not think about uh you know kind of uh land i don't know what they call it the name right land land connected uh work that you may be doing as a chaplain or even that the navy connects with or navy chaplains would connect with but yeah there's you know i mean listen uh top gun right like that's another another big <laughs> uh thing that a lot of people know if they don't know anything else they about navy in terms of flying it would be top gun right so yeah aircraft absolutely something's got to land on those aircraft carriers there's a yes. reason that you have those <laughs> Yep.
1: And so there are air stations that are stationed on the shore.
0: Mm-hmm. And then
1: there are what we call shore commands for the Navy, mm-hmm. that are places where there are sailors and where they need chaplains, but where there aren't any ships. And right. so there are so many options of mm-hmm. what you could be doing as a Navy chaplain. And that is, in fact, one of the things that I really like about it is that right now I'm with a shore command. Mm-hmm. But my next tour will almost certainly be either on a ship or with the Marines, and I'm so excited for that. Like it's so wow. different, it's such a different opportunity, different pace, and and it keeps things interesting. It keeps things insi- exciting. One of the things that I I struggled with in congregational ministry was kind of the the slow pace of things. It's it's that mm. that with that you do you have to do with congregants. You have to like nudge, 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 and then shove. And then you have to like back it off and nudge for <laughs> a little bit longer. And I, I, I have a patient person in a lot of ways. I don't know if I have the patience for that. Yeah. And then something you said that, that is coming back to mind as we're talking of the, are these going to be my people mm. in my seminary? I was really worried because I, I love Unitarian Universalism. I love Unitarian Universal, Unitarian Universalism so much. I believe in our religion. I believe in what we offer. I believe in what we're doing in the world. And I was not sure that Unitarian Universalism liked me all that much. Mm. I, I had deep concerns about who I was and what I wanted to do with my life. And this, what seemed like kind of towing a party line in Unitarian Universalism that didn't always vibe well with me mm-hmm. and that I didn't always enjoy. And just as a, as a really quick, easy example, I preach my sermons extemporaneously. Mm-hmm. I don't have anything written and they tend to be very passionate and emotional um, and, and still you know, factual, but, sure. but I have sort of a fire and brimstone without the fire and brimstone <laughs> type gotcha. style and uh that that didn't always seem to be particularly accepted inside of our denomination as like a very small example there are lots sure. of other more personal painful ones and so when when i joined the the military and when i was doing that i was like oh like this is a place where people get it, where I don't have to be as patient. There, there's that hurry up and wait, but there's also I can do immediate change and, and impact people in real time. Before I became a chaplain, I was
0: an emergency room nurse. And hmm. oh, at- okay. So before, not just chaplain, before before seminary. This is your pre uh, seminary even uh, career. Interesting. Yeah, that's going to give a yeah. different pace. Yeah absolutely yeah and and
1: that's kind of the pace that I enjoy and thrive yeah. in and I'm used to and mm-hmm. the military offers that and it, it it doesn't have to right but but if you want it to be that pace you can make it be that pace sure. you can you can get up early and go pt and then walk among the people and check in on them and be there for them and and do that in a way that just is not offered Anywhere else that I've found, you know, at this point, I've I've done congregational ministry. I've been a VA chaplain. I've been a hospice chaplain, and I didn't hate any of those. I, I mm-hmm. actually enjoyed pretty much all of them. Yeah, and yet there is nothing else like military chaplaincy. The way you can make it your own, the way I make a difference in people's lives, and for me in particular, because of where I'm stationed, I'm, I'm stationed at the Navy's only boot camp. Mm-hmm. So every Person who's going to be enlisted in the Navy comes through where I'm stationed. Unfortunately, yeah. I'm not the only chaplain for all of them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. And that's a really interesting ministry in and of itself. And all the branches have a, have a boot camp, an enlisted boot camp, right? All of them do. And all of those, all of those uh locations have chaplains. In particular, a lot of times, uh, I think in different ways, active duty is a little different than guard and reserve, particularly guard, uh, Chaplaincy this way. But a whole lot. Um, how am I going to put this? Somebody else had said this to me years ago, and I think this really makes sense. Um, certainly active duty military chaplaincy is young adult ministry. Yes. A lot of young adult ministry. So the young adult mm-hmm. ministry, especially if you're going to talk about at those at those boot camps where you're doing all those that enlisted, not everybody is a young adult there, but the overwhelming majority of the of the troops coming through are young adults so what a great opportunity for them to be able to engage with Unitar- a unitarian universalist chaplain uh, yep. at that really transitional vulnerable exciting overwhelming time of their life yes absolutely
1: 110% and it gives a way to do social justice work in a small just loving people where they're at kind mm-hmm. of way that makes a massive difference. Yeah. So tell me, explain, talk a little more about that. That's cool. For So for example, we are getting recruits from all over the country, mm-hmm. all different backgrounds, all different walks of life. And within their first week of being here as part of the Navy, they get a, a brief, a class, shall we say, with me, And I get to introduce them to Navy chaplaincy. I tell them about how chaplains are 100% confidential. I tell them about our services that we, like our religious services that we offer each week. I talk about my job, so forth and so on. And then I have an opportunity, I, I have a bit of time where I can just sort of talk about whatever I think they might want or need to hear. And one of the big rules at boot camp is no sexism, no racism, no discrimination of any kind. And that opens up for me this door of being able to talk about how no matter what your background, no matter where you come from, you're going to meet people in the military who are Black and who are Asian and who are Latinx and who are trans and who are gay. And they're going to have information that you need not only to better your career, but potentially and, and likely to save your life. And if you're dismissing what they say, if if your brain has been wired in such a way that you don't take as seriously or you kind of dismiss anyone of any kind of background or persuasion, you're you're gonna miss out on that. And that could be seriously detrimental to you. And so I have an opportunity to say that to them, to, to start them off by inviting them to rethink however they were raised. And to rethink of it in terms of respecting every single person around them. It's really about the inherent, I'm saying, give that inherent worth and dignity to every person without actually saying that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's wow. Yeah. Yeah what an incredible opportunity again what an incredible opportunity for young adult ministry that way from a unitarian universalist perspective that's not around proselytizing there's not like that's not the piece that you're going to that uh, that's another part of 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 military chaplaincy that I don't know that everyone realizes is actually our function the function within the military for chaplain is uh is to actually help uh, well is to preserve everyone's right to their religious freedom
1: Yes, every single person's right to their religious freedom. And I I had... Uh, One of the more interesting things that I've done (laughs) over the past year is we we have these things called religious accommodations. Mm -hmm. So if something in your religion and something that the Navy requires of you are at odds, we can submit a religious accommodation request so that the Navy sort of allows those things to work out and you you get exceptions to the Navy's rules. And the most interesting one I have had is someone who considered surfing, the act of surfing, to be their religion. I had never heard of this. This isn't on any lists anywhere. There's there's no official surfing religion, but for this person, that was their religion. They had been doing it every day for years. Mm -hmm. They found awe and peace and wonder and all of those spiritual religious things and congregation and doing it with other people and fellowship. Mm -hmm. And so they they really had a, a very good argument for it to be their religion. And uh, the religious accommodation didn't end up working out for a variety of reasons. But one of my jobs was to support that person
0: in their religion. That's right. And to help them articulate that. And and part of the job, again, of a military chaplain is actually to protect everyone's to be able to exercise uh, that that, uh, free exercise of religion clause uh, within the Constitution. It's a constitutional requirement. And that's the subject matter. One of the subject matter experts. I mean, chaplains are that for the military, uh, Mm -hmm. which is not necessarily, most people don't necessarily know that that's one of the reasons that there are chaplains that wear uniforms. Yeah. And, and not civilians that come in to provide like worship. That's not it. It's these other pieces that are really, really, uh, remarkable, really remarkable.
1: Yeah, because just as different religions have different cultures and politics that play into them, you know, Unitarian Universalists are different from the mm-hmm. United Church of Christ. We can be very similar in a lot of ways, but True. we have our own systems for doing things. So, too, the military has their own systems for doing things. Yep. And the chaplains that are there are there to help people navigate those systems to preserve their religious freedoms. And that's really something you want to be done by by someone who's in it with you. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So is there anything, like, think? um, what do you wish you'd known earlier as you were working through, whether it be the Chaplain Candidate Program or even after that when you, are are there things that you wish you had known, classes you wish you had taken, anything that, that, like, uh, knowing what you know now and could whisper into your earlier self's ear, ooh, I know I'm going to get there eventually. This might help me get there, or when I'm there, it might, might make things a little easier or better, or I might be more prepared. Anything?
1: Well, I, I think I got particularly lucky. And for me, in, in my theology, I would say I was guided in my <laughs> seminary experience because mm-hmm. I my concentration was in interreligious engagement and ethics. Oh, OK. And that really set me up really well. One of the reasons that you, you ministers in particular are good military chaplains is because we're essentially interfaith chaplains. Inside of the military, we wear a cross. So we are considered to be Christian chaplains. And there are very good reasons for that. It opens up a lot of doors for us. Uh, and we are trained to really care for people of all religions. And my interfaith classes really supported that and helped with that, especially because my my concentration was in Islam and Islamophobia. And that makes me more aware of how to look for and keep in mind different things and and things people might say that I can gently and lovingly correct. Uh, and then uh, CPE residency there, there's just no replacing a CPE residency. And it, it was unbelievably helpful. Uh, I would not be the pastoral counselor that I am today without a CPE residency. I, I can't recommend it highly enough.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's boy, just about any, any, any specialty within ministry, wherever that vocation calls, that's the CPE residency is is going to, it's just so helpful. It just helps build. It's the building blocks, right? It's building blocks you can build from. So that's great. Yeah. What do you love? I mean, I've, I hear, I mean, I hear the excitement. I hear, I hear pieces of it. Is there, but I don't know that I've asked, what do you really, what do you love about your job?
1: I love about my job how much I get to make a difference
0: mm. and
1: and how much I can kind of see that happening in ways that you do get to do in an outside ministry, but not nearly as often. For example, in my office, I have a flag that is the Navy chaplain logo surrounded by a rainbow flag. Mm. And, and that's it. That's just my subtle little notification to everyone that this is a space where they can really come in and talk. Mm -hmm. And I I think partly because of that, I have had four trans recruits come and talk to me in in my time there. And that might not sound like very many, uh, but that's actually quite a lot. If you think over the course of a year, four people who either know they're trans and are trying to navigate that, newly, you know, young people who are trans trying to navigate that, or um, people who are realizing they're trans in this moment and seeking help and support for that. Mm-hmm. And and so being able to really sit with them and be with them and what they're going through and, and those struggles. I don't think there are very many other chaplain jobs that allow me to go from that To running with recruits and like encouraging them to run faster and running next to them and being like, all right, we're going to sprint this next little bit and then we'll slow it down a little bit, but just just like stay with me, we're going to do this together. And then to go from that to helping a staff member navigate their marriage Mm -hmm. and the the difficulties that they're having with that or wanting to convert from one religion to another Mm -hmm. and what they're what they're doing there. I mean, just it's nonstop and it's amazing. It's amazing.
0: Yeah, that's another interesting thing, right? About about chaplains in the military. While while uh, there is a rank, and chaplains are all going to be officers, there's also a way that we're we are a certain kind. And military chaplains across the across all the branches are a particular kind of officer that allows being able to engage ranks above as well as ranks below, uh, without being part of the chain of command. So that you know, there's not. We're not going to be evaluating, you know, you're not going to be evaluating one of those enlisted uh, folks or one of the recruits. You're not evaluating it, which allows you to meet them where they are and support them where we there are without them worrying that you're signing a, you know, the paper that's going to let them be promoted or not. That, yeah. that also allowing. So and that often comes right with folks that are maybe in, in uh, further down the chain, but up the chain then to be able to uh, advise recommend around topics of ethics around topics of how um uh oh, what's the word I'm looking for uh morale mm-hmm. uh it, it, along the also around uh religious and spiritual, uh, topics too. That's really powerful. I mean, you just, you brought up your specialty or your, your concentration in seminary, right? Or ethics and interreligious, uh, connections to be able to advise, uh, and recommend to command, Hey, listen, I noticed this, I noticed this has been going on in a couple I noticed a couple different areas. There's a concern here. I wonder, uh, if we could talk about how that might change, how could we change that climate? You know, you're you're a lieutenant right now, and you could that's an, that's a O three <laughs> in, a, in in other in other branches for folks that know uh, military, but you can go talk to the 06 about that.
1: Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And and in my command in particular, in in other commands, that would be pretty frequent. That I would go talk to the 06 and be checking in with him or her and find find, one being their chaplain, finding out how they're doing because, because you are a chaplain to every single person on your base and off. Uh, And I I have that advisement piece as well. Uh, And less it, because my command has so many chaplains added, we have the largest grouping of chaplains anywhere in the Navy. We have 10 like Lieutenant, Lieutenant, junior grades, Mm -hmm. and then a supervisory chaplain and then a command chaplain. Yeah. And so the command chaplain definitely takes more of that advising piece, so, b- but I go to my, he's an 05 command yeah. chaplain with these kind of advisory pieces. And even at my command, there is a role and I have gone to the 06 with things that um, I, th- I think could be changed or need to be changed yeah. or that I have questions about that, that gentle questioning, that yeah. gene kind of technique.
0: Well, and depending right, and like you said, with things like religious accommodations, they that is they're expecting you to advise them on mm-hmm. this this question that's coming up, this concern for this sailor, right? They're that is their they are they need you to be able to speak directly with them around uh, around those needs. Um, yes. Things coming up with morale. That's part of it. I mean, it's a really interesting place. So to be both in a place of caring, like you said, you're also their chaplain, right? So sometimes you wear that hat where, hey, listen, I'm here for you. What's going on? Uh, to be able to do both and uh, advise, to to advise bigger parts of an organization that's not always the place that uh, that chaplains get to to do that kind of work too. So it's a really interesting mm-hmm. combination of of not only skills but I think responsibilities uh, that are that are quite beautiful, complicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And, yeah, and it's a, it's a privilege, you know. It's a privilege to be able to encounter people and meet people in all those ways.
1: It it absolutely is, and and if we're just. Because I think it can be difficult to grasp the scale of what I'm talking about, particularly at my job. So let me put it this way. I have direct access to the O6, who his command has about 40,000 recruits pass through it every year. And that's just the recruits. Yeah, that's not even including the staff members, of which there are thousands. Wow. to help take care of these recruits. So we're talking about massive scale. You know, yeah. I have had direct impact like face to face with people direct impact on thousands yeah. of recruits and hundreds of staff members. Yeah. And and that's you there isn't <laughs> really <laughs> any anywhere else any other kind of job where you can get that. And sometimes I'm doing that through things like classes where yep you really, you can make a huge difference with how you say things and what you say
0: inside of classes.
1: But that's also one-on-one conversations and doing physical activities together and so forth and so on.
0: Yeah. What an amazing, what an amazing, uh, Experience. Uh, what a rich, like, it's just all, all all the pieces for you that that bring into to making you who you are, making you the right person for this particular job is really exciting, and to be able to talk with you about that, you know, and not to mention again, uh, well, here's another piece too. I think that to just to circle back as we're getting ready to close to the ear- your earlier question, like, are these my people? Mm-hmm. Are these my people? Uh, a lot of people don't realize. You know what? There's UUs that enlist. There's UUs in the military too, where guess what? They they have to to recognize, oh, uh, wait a minute, there's a UU chaplain here? Wait a minute. I didn't know that there would be UU chaplains here for them to be able to go and speak to somebody that speaks their language as well. I mean, that's a that's a gift. That's a gift. And we may not always realize how many, how many UUs are connected to the military.
1: Mm-hmm. The numbers
0: are huge because we don't talk about it. Yep.
1: 110%. Yeah. It is not uncommon with each uh, division of recruits that I get, which is mm-hmm. anywhere from 50 to hundred recruits that are coming in. in. In each division, probably about every other division that I get, there is a Unitarian Universalist in. Yeah. And I, I only cover one of like 10 ships on the base. Wow. So yeah. at any given moment in time, there's five to 10 Unitarian Universalists on my base, which is a lot. That's a, that's a lot of people. Um, and even more than that, if if I can say my like big beef with Unitarian Universalism and the military, yeah. there, there, I think a lot of Unitarian Universalists have the same idea that I did. These people yeah. are so different from me. This isn't where my ministry should be. And then this reasonable, Annoyance with the military industrial complex and and like critique of that. Totally fair and valid. I hear that. Don't get me, don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. The military has been, and chances are good again at some point in the future will be used to do things that that it shouldn't be. But so is religion and Mm -hmm. so is government. And so are all these things that we choose to participate in anyway and to try to make better. Mm -hmm. And just like with theology, you know, if, if liberal religious people abandon the word religion, Mm -hmm. we are giving the conservatives control of what that word means. And inside of the armed forces, because of our dislike of the military industrial complex, there aren't very many liberal ministers. There aren't very many liberal chaplains. And, And I just ask, you know, who takes care of my trans recruits if I'm not there? That's right. Who ta- who takes care of my gay recruits? Who takes care of my recruits who want a liberal religion? Who who takes care of my recruits who need that love? Like right. like that in, in that way. And so the the more we abandon it, the less of a say we have. if you if you want to seat at the table,
0: you gotta be at the table. Mm-hmm. It's been so great to have this conversation. I mean, we've known each other for a bunch of years, and here we find out new things and things we haven't <laughs> pieces there. So it's really fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for continuing. It is uh, particularly where you are right now. Ooh boy, up early, long hours. This is a this is a this is a high energy, high ops tempo particular uh, uh, assignment that you're on right now. So I thank you for taking your time to do this. And uh, just, it's, it's really great. It's, it's great to know you. I'm so glad to hear about all the Navy pieces too, right? Because uh, all the branches are so specific. And I think you did a great job of giving people an idea about what what kind of an incredible, incredible ministry in life this could be.
1: Thank you. And if if I can do a shameless plug, if you listening to this want to meet me and want to learn more about Navy chaplaincy or military chaplaincy in general, one of the special things we do is a program at our base where you can come and tour base with other chaplains, meet some chaplain recruiters, get some answers to your questions, just kind of see what it's like. It's like a one day on the job training (laughs) experience. And I would absolutely love to have people come to that. it's Please. great.
0: I went. I went and did it last fall, just as just to be able to talk with people. It was fascinating. It was so rich and wonderful. What a great group of people! And what we'll do is we'll put information about how uh, how folks can can contact in the show notes about that. So we'll be able to have a way uh, via the show notes to be able to connect. So again, awesome. thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Julie, and have a wonderful day you too. Thank you for listening. Many Windows, Conversations on Ministry is a production of Meadville-Lombard Theological School. Theme music is Destination by Just Thea. This episode is produced by Jules Taylor. And as always, a special thank you to Tomo Hilba.